Good Monday morning, you bastards. Good Monday morning, you bastards! That's that's how we do it around here. I'm soft-spoken. <laughs> Big stick guy, huh? Right on. Hey, you know who that is, John? You know who I brought with us? This is going to get really confusing because it's John. We brought another John, so yeah. it's John, John, Matt. It's the JJM Show. <laughs> here we are, and as promised, we're going to dive into some deep stuff today. Um, Real deep. But before all that, how's life, John? <laughs> Which John? <laughs> John. Oh, John. You know John. John. Go ahead, John. The guy playing first base. <laughs> it's been good, man. I'm getting over my cold finally. Yeah, you look better. Yeah. You shaved your beard. I like it. I got to tell you, I'm not a beard, a beard like guy. Like I, I used to have a beard, and then once it became popular, I have an affinity against. Oh, see, now I'm not having sex because I shaved my beard. Is that the... Yeah, that's how it goes in my household. <laughs> uh, I have to wait until it grows back a little bit more in order to get any she's sort a, of... She's a beard person. She's huh? a beard Did you have lady. a beard when you met her? No, I was clean shaven. I had What's the difference? almost an afro going. It was crazy. Oh, you just converted the head to the chin? Yeah, I transferred it down. Yeah, it's a comfortable thing, it is. I think. I don't know. What does a beard say to you, John? I can't grow one. I mainly focus on pubes. So you, you, you're more angry about it, too, huh? Yeah. You don't like the beard people? I, I just, I'm envious. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself with a clip-on beard, walking around, thinking... I would do that. This is like two months of work. Have yeah. you ever seen those sock caps that have the beard yeah. ver- tied into it? Yeah. yeah. I wonder, you know, like when, when people, uh, amputees lose their leg, they have ghost arms and oh, ghost yeah. legs. Do you have ghost beard? Do you ever go to grab and do a deep thought and there's nothing there to grab? No, it's because it's kind of like shaving your legs for the first time. You feel <laughs> it's so cold and naked and you're just like... Uh, it's like when you get your braces off when you're in high school. Yeah. And you're just constantly licking your teeth because yeah. they're so it's smooth. New, new sensations. Exactly. All right. Uh, what do you want to talk about, John? Photos. Photos. You know, we did a, a podcast on the overview of display, <coughs> print, and capture. We did. And you promised us that we would keep talking about that in detail. I know. I'm holding you to it. <laughs> All right. So let's say, uh, let's just jump right in here really quick. You know, today what we did was we... Um, brought in an expert, our John number two. You'll be John number one and John number two. (laughs) We brought in an expert. Um, So let me introduce him. This is John. He is a cinematographer. Is that the correct title? That is the correct title. Can you give us some background about yourself? What would you, when you you sit down for uh, a a nice discussion on the airplane and someone says, what do you do for a living? What's your your go-to speech? I press red buttons and I stare at shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean... So I, what I do professionally is I, I capture video, and usually it's for commercials, and I want to feel good about myself, so I call myself a cinematographer mm-hmm. instead of a videographer. But the truth is I make video. I don't do film, so I, I work in the medium of digital video. And uh, I don't know. I just stare at shit. What, do you, what are you working on right now? <laughs> working on a, a series of videos for, uh, right now, a, a snack company nice. tomorrow and today. But then I just got off a documentary shoot for a couple weeks of the run, and yeah, my job is always different. And you you travel a lot. I do. I travel a lot, and I stare at a lot of different shit, and I press a lot of different looking red buttons. So you're, I can only imagine with traveling so much, you don't, it's not like, if you're an artist and you have your same setup, you know, and, you're, and you know every day your pencil's here, mm-hmm. it's the same red pencil, and it's the same eraser, and it's the same light, like same color light, same time of the day. Some of the stuff we've been talking about with rituals. Um, you basically have a new desk every day and, and a new, new set of equipment. So you have to find, I guess, that common thread in all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, back to like the ritual episode. I mean, I, I travel with my same shampoo everywhere I go. Just I have one small piece of consistency in my life. <laughs> and this tiny little, like... Like bronze rat that I found, yeah. Just because it's trying to find some, you know, modicum of things I come back to. Like this is home. This is home. Right. But yeah, every day is a new place. Every every place looks different. Every light flickers different. Every camera's different. And so it's more about kind of a common ground than it is knowing the specifics of one piece of equipment. So that would make you a little bit more versatile, I think, than the average person by having to jump around so much. Because I guess in your yeah. industry, there's no way you can travel with $10,000 cameras. You're going to do a lot of rental and a lot of borrowing. Oh, you can. I mean, there's a lot of owner-operators. Yeah. Um, 
and they all have their own ways of doing things, but I think it makes you more versatile if you don't, you know, throw all your eggs in one basket. It makes you more uh, well-rounded, and you're required to think differently. You think less about, here's what this piece of equipment can do, and then you think more about, here's what equipment does. So right. your, your philosophy is a lot more general, a lot more rooted. And I know that there's a lot of differing thought. I think a lot of people have to own to get work. But you get to a point where you no longer need to own gear to get the work. And so your value becomes how you stare at shit mm-hmm. or and how you run a crew. I, you know, that almost goes back to what we talked about before, John, number one, <laughs> about how you're the product. Right. You know? And so they are definitely hiring you. They're not hiring someone who just knows how to manhandle the equipment. Yeah. This is true. I think I think half the clients still just hire you to manhandle the equipment. <laughs> that happens. But yeah. But that's kind of like a an interesting thing and it's kind of one of the one of the catalysts for wanting to do this was the whole concept of like gear lust. Yeah. You know, getting so tied up in like what you use is so important to what you actually do when the reality of it is not the case, right? Story trumps everything else. And that's also a a trump card. Like, people use story without knowing what it really means. But in our world, I think that there's a point where the gear is secondary. And if you chase the gear, I was told this ten, like, nine years ago. If you chase the gear, you'll always be chasing something you can never afford. And that's, that's, you know, because there's always the next piece. There's always the next thing. There's always an iteration. Oh, yeah, every six months. For sure. Um, We had talked before about the cashier aspect of things, and we'd mentioned how to get Monet's haystacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually the idea was how to get them into a print, how to get them to fine art yeah. print. Yeah. Um, let's, I really like what you're talking about with the, with the um, gear aspect of things, about what you need. And before we'd mentioned DSLR cameras, but I think we can all back up a little bit. And everyone has an iPhone in their pocket. Yeah. I think they're a little bit more powerful than what people know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some tricks to using them, too. Yeah, there's so there's so they are such a powerful tool, but it's also the thing that everybody has that everybody's not happy with how their pictures look at the end of the day. So let's play make believe really quick. Let's say that Monet brought us a JPEG of his haystacks, and then we pull it up on the monitor, and the the display, his expectations of what it should look like on the monitor just aren't there, and J- we say what? JPEG being a digital f- picture. Yeah, just to kind of like. It's like the common file. It's like the background is a bunch of photographers got together and needed a common file Mm -hmm. format to trade um, on, and so they came up with JPEG. That's the that's the overview of of where JPEG came from. No, uh, but uh, so he's looking at the the Monet sitting there, and he's looking at the the monitor, and he says, in my best French accent, "This is not what I expect to see on the." (laughs) <laughs> on the monitor why do my haystacks look like shit you know he says something like that and he's yelling at you not me right uh, and and you're like what did you do he was like take a picture with my iPhone you know and he's like angry and he's waving his arms everywhere I don't know do you think Monet was actually an angry person I don't know I bet he was I bet the whole thing about <laughs> painting was anger management classes I bet it wasn't even his intent to become famous <laughs> he was just such an ass that they're like, dude, just go and paint some haystacks. Right. But anyway, what 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 would you what would you tell him? I'm sure all he did was take his phone, open up the photo option, and snap some some pictures. Yeah, I mean that's that's your go to reaction, right? Right. Like, okay, I'm I'm done with my project. Time to grab a photo of it. So I'm gonna pick up my phone, open up the camera focus it and shoot a photo but instantly when you go to focus it you already notice like looking at your phone looking at the object that things aren't matching up and it's typically like you're taking a color picture and the colors are off you know either it's too warm too yellow or red or whatnot or it's too blue or it's too cold looking um so why why do you think that is lighting Lighting it's and the color voice. temperature. It's a white balance that we yeah, talked yeah. about before. Because you're, you're either sitting under fluorescent lighting with like a drop ceiling situation or you've got incandescent bulbs or any other gamut of color choices when it comes to lighting. But it's something that you don't really take into consideration half the time because it's like, well, I'm done. I want to just capture this real fast. But all these crazy factors pour into 
what you're looking at on the screen is not matching up with what you're seeing in front of you. And it also, we look at the screen and there's a slight skew of perspective. You know, he just held the phone up and tilted his canvas against the wall. Right. And it came out wrong. So I guess if we were to walk Monet through it, the first thing I would ask him to do is get a, um, you want to be exactly 90 degrees up. 90 degrees. You want to be parallel. You want to be 100% parallel. Is that the word I'm looking for? I guess you'd be, your camera would be perpendicular to the surface, but your actual lens would be parallel with the plane of the picture. Right. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the idea is that you don't you know if you want them if they were books on a shelf yeah. you once you separate them you don't want them to change either the painting or the phone to change angle you want yeah. to make sure it's straight so whether he wants to take a picture with the with the painting laying flat on the ground or mm-hmm. the painting on the wall everything has got to be squared off is what we're really trying to say yeah and then how you light it like you're talking about before you want to make sure that you you don't want a specular light you don't want a direct key lighting mm-hmm. that actually makes a shadow across you definitely want some more something that's more ambient something that's a drizzly light what what kind of th- like when you're out in the field how how <laughs> that sound too professional i just wish i was australian yeah it's <laughs> like yes that's not australian you can be i guess um in the field what <laughs> What uh, how does light come into play? Like when you see something, what do you what are you thinking about when you when you walk up on a set and you're like, this is all wrong. We need to set we need to set it up. <laughs> uh, you, you can do you can do an Australian accent. No, this I'm, is all wrong, I'm horrible. mate. <laughs> I don't know I'll just say mate with my shitty Midwestern <laughs> accent. Um, I mean, so like the the first thing that happens when I walk into a room, or like when I was here, you know, you look, it's it just. I feel like a lot of people will rush in and they'll start trying to pull words or ideas of equipment. The first thing you have to do is just just look. Like just look and see where your lights are. So see where all of your, your, your dominant sources of light are coming from. And what we always do is you just put your fucking hand out. Can I, say, I can say fuck. Yeah. yeah. I say fuck a lot. Um, you know, you just, I, I put my hand out in front of myself. So for the, for the listener, I'm holding my hand in front of my face. I'm just staring at it. I'm twisting it, and I'm looking at where the different light comes from. When a when a key source becomes a good backlight versus, you know, where the contrast starts to emerge, and so that's that's literally it. And I, my mentor, when I started learning from him, I would always walk into a scene with him and be like, "What do you want to do?" And he'd be like, "Shut the fuck up," and he would just look. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just looking. Pay right? attention for yeah. a minute. Like you're talking about with trying to find what kind of light source is the right one. I mean, we walk into all kinds of rooms. Some of them are great, some of them are bad. Sometimes you just turn off a light and it fixes your problems. Mm. Sometimes you turn on a light and it fixes your problems. But it's all about the fist. Right. If you um, didn't have the option, like say, say Monet set up in his in his living room and it, and it, he was just getting a, a, a really strong key light from the one bulb, um, like going outside would be a good option, right? Yeah, because consistency. Because the, the sun is a huge light, so all the rays coming from it are very linear and consistent. Whereas that little incandescent bulb in your room is bouncing off all the walls and picking up all this texture and doing all this other shit. It's stepping out on you from when it goes out of the bulb to your your piece right? or to your work. Whereas outside, you know, in a perfect world, you can go under some shaded area. So you're getting all this ambient bounce light from the sun that's nice and warm and consistent. Mm-hmm. And you're by getting that shaded area, you're key, you're kind of staying away from those heavy shadows or those heavy, heavy key lights. Or yeah, and that's just giving your equipment a little extra boost of confidence because right. these aren't you know if you're using the iPhones or even worse the Samsung Seven, <laughs> it'll blow up on you. <laughs> yeah. um, you know you're you're helping the machine out by recognizing its limitations. Mm-hmm. It's it's a prosumer. It's not even prosumer. It's it's a consumer piece of technology. It's not built to handle the same extreme conditions as a National Geographic photographer is right, jumping right. into. Right. So by, by helping control some of the, um, the limitations on dynamic range of the camera and its ability to capture light on the high and low end, mm-hmm. you make your job a lot easier. Um, and so, yeah, you could, you could easily do this trick, like you said, with your, with your fist. You can see that. You can see, as he does it, you can see the shadows off of his knuckles. And even my hands are about two feet away, and it's lit differently. Yeah. Um, he's got much more. Uh, uh, he's got uh, stronger uh, terminus lines with his cast shadows and whatnot. And mine is definitely a, a prettier hand. Much prettier. <laughs> I could be a hand model. This hand is just for fisting. So yeah, just that's a simple thing. If you see heavy shadows on your hand, it's probably not where you want to take a picture of your artwork. Right. I f- I feel like personally, where I went, th- what my uh, process was of figuring out like 
how I want to shoot what I do. It was, I did. I started with, okay, well, I have crap lighting, so let me go outside in a broad enough shadow so I'm not getting the harsh, bright light of the sun. Um, and I shot all my photos there. And then once I got into a situation where I had the ability to control more of my lighting, I started with a very simple, like, two light source setup, you know, left, right, kind of same color temperature pointed at my subject matter roughly like 45 degrees and with a consistent background and then once I got over here you had the whole photo studio set up to where it was we we have way more options and that's kind of like an ideal situation where you can con literally control every aspect yeah we're a little lucky that we've actually designated a space for it yeah um but like like the since our topic is is on a budget, you don't you don't we don't need we don't even need all that space. But right, it's right, nice right. to have. Yeah, and really, right. the funny thing is, even that what you got to remember is that whole photo studio room that's in there. All I'm doing is I'm trying to replicate outside light. Right. So if we go to all these extreme to like have a, have a photo studio that makes a certain dynamic um, presentation mm -hmm. when. We just could just go outside sometimes if the if we get a good 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 day. Yeah, and just do the same damn thing. Yeah. Um, why did uh, why did his colors not capture correctly? Like when when we looked at the so he's looking at the display and it, and, and it's a little bit off and, and as you zoom in color it, temperature wise yeah well like so the color temperature wise we can fix that on, on a program. Right, and we we talked about I talked about that briefly last time about like quick ways of white balance because mm -hmm. white balance is a, the biggest way that you utilize to tell your equipment what the current temperature is of the lighting in your in your room essentially. Do you concur, John? Number two. I do. And, and oh, you're John number one. Right. I'm, I'm Damn number two. Oh, you're I, number two. I always okay. feel shit. Stop right. crossing streams. <laughs> we can call you Big John. Big, I like that. All right, Big John. I'm seven foot two. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, and I mean, even to that point, as you say this, I'm realizing there's a, there's a pretty standard, you know, there's three numbers that we think about all the time, mm -hmm. you know, 3,200, 4,200, and like 52 to 5,600. So in our brain... That's Kelvin. Yeah, Kelvin. So in terms of white balance, there's really three kinds of things I deal with. There's incandescent bulbs, there's mm -hmm. fluorescent, and there's there's sunlight or daylight. And there's variations on that, but really, yeah, there's there's three dominant color profiles I think of in my brain when I walk into a room and go, oh, which is the closest to? Right. And a lot of times, because you can't adjust a ton of things on the native settings um, on most gear, like phones, but a lot of times I, I'll, I'll just work off those three knowing that I could dial it in, but it's not that important. What's more important is recognizing what all the lights are. And that's... If you have consistency yeah. of lighting. So if you have a, on the low end, the cooler end... Um, more, I guess, a fluorescence, more of a blue. That'd probably be the coolest. Is that right? Typically, yeah. Like the a, long, skinny bulbs. Yeah, fluorescent yeah. too. So it's, that's going to give more of a bluish tint. Well, that's the other problem too, because like I, I know in my house, like when a bulb goes out, I go out to the store and buy whatever's cheap. <laughs> you know, I'm not thinking like, oh, I've got to match what bulbs I have at home with the same color temperature. It's like, oh, this looks good right now. So you do. You end up with all these situations where you don't necessarily have consistent lighting. Yeah, and, and the, the coolest, warmest thing is always interesting, too, because there's, there's, there's two worlds of thinking. There's like the, the world of physics and then the, the verbatim mm -hmm. with that. And so I always get, even myself, I get confused between like wavelengths versus what does it look like. Like when you go into an incandescent bulb, it's putting out more red light, so you adjust your camera to recognize that the white is going to be shifted, and so that it's going to recognize the warmth inside of the incandescent bulb. But I always get fucked up on that, mm. and then people make fun of me. Well, that's that's a, a whole confusing thing for everyone, you know. Like there's so much there's so much that goes into just taking a picture that just scares the pants off of most people, which is why they just flick their camera open and like, okay, I'm going to take a snap. And then, then you end up realizing like, well, my reds are blown out. It looks nothing like what I had painted in front of me, you know? And so well, that's what I was getting at before. So yeah, yeah. If you, you can also look at what, what the overall temperature of your actual painting is, right? Mm -hmm. The local color of your painting mm -hmm. and 
battle, those two will, will fight. If you have a warmer light in the room, yeah. mm-hmm. those two will fight each other. So try, your goal is to try to get the closest to a white light as possible, mm-hmm. which is damn near impossible, impossible yeah. in interior lighting. Yeah. So that's another reason to just maybe go outside if you're on a budget. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and the whole, like we talked about uh, on the previous one, just having, like, for me, when I'm out and about and taking photos... I have a sectional made business card that is white, and so if I need a quick color, like white balance, I'll just use that. I'll hold it up to my subject, focus on it, and that way I know the color is as close to what I want as possible. If I was a photographer, that'd be a genius idea to do a real white balance back of your business card. Yeah. So at all times you had that 18% gray, no matter where you're at. You know what would happen, though? What? Is then someone would say, just like the person looking at the display, why does this look different? Because it'd be, like, scraped up on the back. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You'd have some guy you met trying to shoot with your business card going, this guy's fucking white soft or something. Getting <laughs> um, slammed on Yelp. So right. let's get back into the tech, a little bit more of the technical jargon. If you, if we, if, you know, you got that asshole rich kid that buys all the new gear, mm-hmm. you know? Um, he, his picture's on display, you're able to zoom in and get all the, the crispness mm-hmm. that that you would think you should be able to get. Yeah. Now, on a phone, iPhone and Apple has a... We talked about JPEG already. Apple almost has their own way of dealing with JPEG. Yeah. And and we, we kind of discussed earlier, um, before we started recording today, uh, Apple, Apple... The person who's taking a picture with an Apple phone, they're usually getting family pics or dog pics, you know, and they want to be able to share them quickly Mm -hmm. and they want to be able to upload them quickly. And so part of that is keeping small files that can move through space and back and through through satellites and and whatnot. Um, That kind of dictates exactly what... um what all these technology companies are shooting for. And that's convenient for moving files around. And mm-hmm. what, what we should really take a minute to recognize here is once we take a picture of something with our phone or our DSLR, we no longer really are talking about a photo. We're talking about a file here. Right. So you're, when you we displayed Monet's haystacks to him on the computer, we didn't show him a picture technically we showed them a file that was a representation of, of what we just did right. so we got to separate the two worlds and know why the new representation didn't take um so apple using the jpeg compression is not going to be as sexy um as a dslr but i think there we found some solutions for that right 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 so uh, original photography was shot on film and you ended up with a negative file and as most people will remember, you can just take that negative and you could go get a 5 by 7 or you could get a 13 by 19 picture printed off of that. And the whole concept is the negative file is like the gold standard. Um, it's so fine and there's enough detail in there that sizing isn't an issue. When we all switched over to digital... Um, Sizing. Remember, the, the big thing was, like, how many megapixels does it have? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sizing was the big thing. Like, how how big can I make the image that I'm capturing end up being? Can I make a poster out of it? Or am I only going to get an 8 by 10 picture out of this? And anything bigger than that is going to be pixelated or overly grainy. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of those guys that do those um, crappy uh, menus. Like, you know, you're in like a, a crappy restaurant when the burger's pixelated. You know what I mean? They obviously like took, a, took and cropped that one section of a, of a bigger picture out and then blew up the burger and it looks like crap. I, I saw you know? the side of a bus the other day and all the text is really beautiful and then this dude's there was a picture of this guy, a bust and it was pixelated out the yin yang that if you were like 100 feet away, maybe you'd look okay. But in the car next to it, you're like, oh, my God, who is that? And I felt bad. I was like, how is this advertising? Pass? This yeah. But you guys are pros and we're like lowbrow and we can <laughs> see that you suck. You yeah. know? And that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, how do, how do we avoid that? And Apple does a pretty good job as far as their JPEG compression. But if you've ever gotten any of your pictures printed, you know that... If you didn't have the best lighting or it was kind of dark, when you got that printed picture, it looks real. I use the terminology, it looks like an oil painting because it, it isn't sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no clear definition to... It's like a, a Gaussian blur across exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> excuse me, my nose is acting up. But um, one thing that I discovered recently was um, Adobe has a Lightroom application. Um, it's a, a version of their computer's program for your phone. You can get through the iTunes store. Yeah, you can or the iTunes store, the App Store. The App Store. And yeah. it's free. And it'll make you it'll make you um, make a quick account, but the, the account's free as well. Yeah, right, totally. But the thing that I love about it is the fact that you can shoot in RAW now on your phone. So what happens is the app actually takes over mm-hmm. and says, "Hey, stupid iPhone, just take a break for a minute. I'm going to take over and show you how it's done." Yeah, yeah, because just downloading the application and then going into your camera again does nothing for you. You actually have to use the application because that application gives you access to the So you camera. take the photos through the application, mm-hmm. and then that gives you uh, the ability to actually save that pho- to- photograph into a file, mm-hmm. and it'd be a raw file Yeah, and so instead of an Apple JPEG file. Exactly. Which mm-hmm. gives you a huge, um, um, a, much, a much more dynamic photo. Um, fo- uh, representation of your picture exactly essentially what it's doing is giving you a digital negative so whatever the capacity of your phone's camera is at that point you're going to capture the full potential of that and none of the software is going to get in the way of saying well our end result is a small file size so we're going to get to that small file size no matter what now we've talked about lighting and we've talked about actually just setting the camera up parallel to, the, to the, what you want to take a picture of. The, and then we talked about the why some of the pictures suck with the JPEG. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten into RAW. But I think John can help us out. Big John can help us out with this. <laughs> you can actually upgrade fairly cheaply the actual lens of the iPhone, too. Yeah. I mean, and we were talking about different models and clips. So throughout the years... There have anytime there's been a lens, someone has made a version of something to go over the lens to allow another lens to do something with it. Mm-hmm. You're just stacking shit. Mm-hmm. So with the phones, is it Olo? Olo's like there's the a manufacturer. Most yeah, Olo makes a lot of clip-on lenses. People make cases that you can actually put your phone into that lets you screw on like a 52 or 57 millimeter lens. I've actually had cases before for the iPhones that. So I work in you know cinema stuff. You can actually take an iPhone, mount it into the steel device, slip it onto your rail and rod system, and mm. let's just say hypothetically my camera broke in the middle of a shoot. Right. I could, for all intent and purpose, take my phone, mount it, put it on the same rig, same map box, same everything, and still shoot with it. So they make all kinds of adapters. So you can go range from, from zero to hundred from fifty-seven cents yeah. to you want to spend five hundred bucks on the lens adapters. Yeah. Now a lens basically is your eyeball. It's yeah. it's it's how the the camera sees the world. Yeah. And by changing the lens, what are some of the what are some of the positives that are going to happen just by changing the lens? How to, explain to us how that works a little bit. Focal length first and foremost. So you've got a limitation yeah. on your iPhone as far as what the actual dimensions of the lens are so what it can see so it's not telephoto and it's not super wide angle what is the actual is it like a 24 or 35 pause insert technical jargon later (laughs) (laughs) so i mean the the phone is it's a single lens right it it doesn't zoom right Mm -hmm. it's it's this this is it's a prime am i correct in that well when it's technically what's happening is when you're zooming on an iphone you're not really zooming. You're just taking the file that it sees, and you're focusing on uh, smaller parts of a bigger file. And that's why you can even see on your display on your iPhone when you zoom in. You see this all the time with parents at like plays. They right. they sit there and they got their two fingers and they're zooming in on their <laughs> stupid kid, right. you know. And the kid's all like pixelated on the screen, and then later they want to hold out, look at my kid, you know. So it didn't really zoom in. It just cropped all the other shit out. Yeah, it's the digital zoom. Yeah, right? digital yeah. zoom. I know some phones have bo- have boasted before they actually have a small zoom range built in, mm-hmm. and I know they can do that physically. One of the latest iPhones has the capacity. It actually has two lenses in it. Uh, so it, it has a more telephoto lens and then the traditional, like, not quite wide angle, but more wide angle than... Than before, yeah, than before. So by putting a lens on there, we're again not letting the limitations of the of the file mm-hmm. uh, let our do our digital zooming. We actually want to do a physical zoom with our with our lens, right? And I should even say, like, you know, if I'm 
is I'm choosing something in, like a, in a doc or a commercial, I'll choose a wider angle lens if I want to show more. I'll choose a telephoto lens if I want to show something tighter and compress more of the foreground and background mm-hmm. so it flattens out. You know, like there's a big... Uh, I'll send you a, a GIF file, a GIF file. How do you say it? I think it's GIF. I say GIF. I'll send you a GIF um, that you can post or something because it's really interesting. It shows you what the difference in focal range does. Mm-hmm. As you get on a wide angle close to somebody, it kind of narrows their head and shows you perspective. gives you a different sense of the world. And when you go to a telephoto lens, it compresses everything and widens. You know, it, It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's put a, put a mock scenario together. We send Monet back out and we say, just, we say, Monet, Monet, fuck it. Just go outside, hang this on a brick wall. How far, if, if he's got, say, something like six feet by six feet, that's a measurement, like a standard height of a, of a male. Um, what, how far back do you think he should be, depending, like, what, should he be cropping more around it? Should he be trying to get just the, the picture into his viewfinder? Should he crop the rest of it out later? Do you know, do you know well, what I'm saying? Yeah, if he's too close to it, I mean, well, first off, yeah, yeah, you want to shoot, in my opinion, you would want to shoot as tightly as you can around the object you're trying to photograph mm-hmm. especially because you go too far back you're dealing with the camera trying to make sense of all the other information because it's making choices for you and then if you're too close you're cutting out your because it's dumb if it's a brick wall it's going to take those warm warm colors off the brick wall and think it's part of the painting as well we don't want that right but i would i would say you know if you're six by six what are you probably Seven feet back, eight feet back. Yeah, so just that depends on the the phones, the craft. Play with it a little yeah. bit, but but by by doing some. Uh, so let's say we get one of those fancy zoom lenses. Are we going to be using it to zoom in, or or how is that going to affect how we take the picture? Usually, it's more of just like a perspective thing. Like if you if you're wanting a different look to what you're capturing, at least that's what I've used it for in the past. Like if you want, because it's all about like having this visual goal of what do you want it to look like do you want it to look like Jimi Hendrix's album cover like are you experienced where it's that fisheye look then you're going to use the fisheye adapter on your Olo clip you know or if you want to stand further back you flip it to a, a telephoto you know so you can get more of a not distorted look to it and that gets into like you know if, if you find a kit that has five different little tiny lenses and they're all primes they can't zoom. You know, mm-hmm. typically a prime is a better piece of glass because there's less pieces of glass inside of it. Mm-hmm. So it has a pure, a more pure image. But a zoom is a variable prime. Right. So for photography, you're never going to use a practical zoom. Like you're never going to flick zoom something and take a photo while it's zooming in mm-hmm. unless you're really getting artsy with shit. We might use it because you can zoom into something inside of a piece or you can, you know, flick zoom in on somebody's face and it's comedic or it's important. But for photography... If you have a zoom, it just means you're not switching lenses. You're faster, right? And that's a, a, my DSLR. I don't, I don't get zoom lenses. I just get fixed or prime lenses. Um, meaning, I, I have a forty. I have a uh, what do I do? Forty, fifty, and uh, eighty-five are my stock lenses I carry around with me. And that's yeah. good too, because you get too wide, you get distortion elements yeah. into play too. And that's a whole other conversation. But yeah. you start to get, regardless of what piece of equipment you're using. The wider you go on a lens, the more you bring in problems with distortion on the flange, the, the outer surfaces, the outer areas of the, of, the, of the field. And then that becomes problematic, too, for when you're like, hey, I thought those lines were straight. Why do they feel curved? Well, because the lens is curving them. And the biggest reason we're talking about this is if you have a 5 by 7 um, inch painting right. versus a 5 by 7 foot painting, just because you figured out everything on the 5 by 7 foot painting... You might change your lens for the five by seven inch painting because you don't really want as much outside information. Like you said, it'll end up distorting. So the goal is use the mechanics of the tools to get the closest and tightest crop of the image you're trying to grab. Did I say that clearly? Yeah. 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 So it's going to be a combination of all these things depending on what you're trying to take a picture of. Now we get all that. Um, and let's say, you know, Monet said, well, I have, why didn't I just, why can't you just scan it? Um, and you can, you can scan stuff too. But like we already talked about, Monet stuff is huge. You, it would take forever to scan. Yeah. If you have a smaller five by seven, like if you're out there and you, and you don't want to take the picture and you got something small, um, you can scan stuff. Just, just remember a couple things. You want to have your settings on your scanner 
um, set at at least 300 DPI. That's standard. For print resolution. Yeah, and DPI is dots per inch. Mm-hmm. And that dots per inch really only applies to the display. Because it's dots per inch on the display. Right. So if you don't have enough dots, then as you zoom in, like we've talked about before, you get that grainy, Distortion. weird. Because if you take a picture of your 5 by 7 on a wall, and you got three feet of brick wall around your picture, you'd be like, well, I don't want to print all that. And you zoom in via the computer. That's right. called a digital zoom. And you're going to end up pixelating as you keep zooming in. So it's another reason why to keep a nice, tight crop. Yeah. But for going back to the scanner aspect, that's really all you really need to know for the most part. Scan it in a color. The, um, and then use a 300 DPI. And if, if it's, I think, you know two times or three times bigger than the scanner bed, you can stitch it together, meaning do three separate scans, take it into your program, and overlay those three images to make them back into one. But I think my rule of thumb would be, my personal rule of thumb is, if I've got to do more than two scans, I'm going to take a picture of it. I don't want to deal with stitching something that big together. Yeah, or find someone with a drum scanner, which most mm. people don't own. Yeah. You can track them down through fine art print houses. And if you have access to a drum printer, I doubt you're listening to this podcast. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I guess, uh, what are, like, in your world, what are um, some of the other things that we might not have touched on when it comes into just capturing? Because I guess what the, the lingo we're talking about in this the one thing that, that travels, the common chord line that travels between the capture, display, and print from the original artwork is mm-hmm. the color space. Right. And that original color space of what Monet painted to, to getting onto the display, mm-hmm. the rendering intent, um, what, how do we kind of explain? Is there a way to explain that better? I, I want to point out first, you know, so the world of video is very different than the world of stills because it's much more limited. So we're talking about, you're talking about megapixels and all these things. We, we're just now to a point where if you're not shooting on, you know, 35 millimeter film, digital cameras are have a high enough resolution to actually equate to some of the same kind of files you get out of a photograph, even from your iPhone. Video is a lot more limited. You know, we're traditionally limited to a smaller frame size. We're traditionally going to all kinds of compressions and things. Someone's watching it on a Samsung TV. Someone's watching it on a digital converter box on an old RCA television. You know, we have a whole lot of fuckery that just happens by default. Mm. So our world is, is a lot more, and at least I speak as a technician, not as much as an artist. I don't really consider myself as much of an artist as I am, you know, a little scientist of light. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing with any camera is trying to look at my waveform and seeing if, is my data in a good place. Because the little things like, is the lighting temperature consistent? Or do the contrast ratios make sense? Those are, those are byproduct of just experience and time. So what I'm really, really looking at is just, is my data good? And if the data is good, and then I know I can look up and I can see that there's not, you know, one really, really blue light and one really, really red light, then I know that whatever I do in the end of that image, at least is consistent. So when I affect style or I color correct it and mm-hmm. I try to get those things... I have to manipulate a lot more to get to where stills are, are currently at, you know, to try to get my image to feel right. I shoot super flat. It looks like shit. Clients are like, why does it look so shitty? And you're like, because I'm preserving the data. You know, I'm preserving it. And that's my whole life. And what we're talking about is in the lens, capturing in the lens versus post-production kind of, right? Right. And so, but, so you never see the end piece out of what I shoot. Okay. But that gets to the same idea, and I'll bring it all back to the most important thing, which is pizza. So if I go to a grocery store and I buy I a frozen... Love, I love pizza. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> something I can sink my teeth into in this conversation. Frozen pizza. I like Red Baron. Okay. It's really hard for me to manipulate the ingredients that Red Baron has put into the frozen pizza. Because it's frozen. It's been flash frozen. So if I could theoretically go to the Red Baron factory and say, you know what, I want a little bit more cheese, but I want the cheese you used... And I want the pepperoni you used. I'm not going to modify. I don't want to add my own to the top of the frozen pizza. I want the stuff you guys add. Mm-hmm. It's easier for me to do that before they flash froze it. So it's easier for me to get involved in the process earlier. And then back to the conversation with how the JPEGs work. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your JPEGs are a frozen pizza. You're getting out of the fucking 
yeah. the cabinet, the, the, the freezer aisle. There's not much option after that point. Yeah. So I'm always trying to say, well, what can I do to, to make sure that I had the most ability to affect that, that pizza, that image? Well, I mean, it'd be great if they just sent me all the ingredients inside little bags and I could build my own. Oh, well, that's a build your own pizza. That's right. raw. So I'm getting the raw ingredients, actually, to make the better piece. So for me, back to the, the video world of things, I just want to make sure that things are safe. And you can see this if you have like a, you could you could go with your iPhone as you are and just shoot one thing three different ways, light the shit out of it, take half the lights off, and then have the tiniest light on, and just see the, the three different looks and how they affect the image. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really easy to fuck with things and just see what the, what it does. But it's all about consistency for me. It's all about just making sure that because because no one's going to see it the same. You're going to be shitting on your iPhone watching the video I made. You're going to watch it on your computer. Mm-hmm. And my grandma's going to watch it on a compact presario. I'm fucked. <laughs> no matter what I do, no one, someone's going to say, this didn't look right. right. And so I, our world is a little bit different because we already assume that there's no perfect viewing. You know? And so... I think that's something good to keep in mind that there isn't... There's no way for us to deliver the answer of this is how you do it. And it's it's interesting, too, that you're, you're saying all that because going back to your interview with Carl and how he talked about the similar things with audio, it's like one person's listening to it on their earbuds, the other person's sitting in their home theater situation, the other one's driving down the highway in their car listening to it. And any situation, it's got to sound good. You know, so... it. It's funny, but it sounds like all the time we're trying to shoot for this middle road common thread right. that is going to work well on anything that ends up happening. You know? and, and that's what we're doing. We're not limited to just having Monet make a print right? because we've got to sell the prints. Right. So people are going to look at the prints on their computer and they're going to look at it on their iPhone. They're going to look at the print you know, on a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes with a YouTube video. Once we put that still on a, on a, on a YouTube video as, as a, as a um, slideshow or something like that, right. uh, it, you know, there's nothing to hide anymore once you make it as big as a, 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 one of some of the larger screen TVs that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think keep it in the middle of the road. And, and my goal, you know, you talked about your catch, catch capturing that raw pizza. Um, my goal in taking the photos is to manipulate it as little as possible in in the programs, whatever yeah. the program it is. I'm trying to capture it in the lens. And like you just said really quick, like changing the lighting really quick, it, do, it doesn't take that much more effort to take a couple of pictures inside, flicking lights on and off, mm-hmm. and go outside and hang it on a north wall, on a south wall, under a tree, or an overcast day. Yeah. You know, so, so a lot of times finding the one that has... And the goal is the the rendering intent, the, the color space. Finding that one that has the minimal disconnect on the monitor from what was actually represented yeah. is, is our goal, right? I'm going to assume that if you're doing this, if you're taking a photo of a piece you've made, you already have the, the subjective ability to say, this looks like what I wanted it to look like. Exactly. And if you're not, if, if that's not happening, if you're going, God fucking damn it, it doesn't look like what I want it to look like, then there's probably one or two small things in between you and that image. Yeah. And that would be lighting and composition. That's that's my, my, my immediate thought would be, I mean, maybe you're the shittiest artist ever. But mm-hmm. even if you are the shittiest artist ever, you're still an artist. Mm-hmm. And what you made as shit, you still find to be subjectively good. Mm-hmm. And so even, even if I try to fucking draw something, I'm a horrible artist when it comes to manipulation of any fucking pen or pencil mm-hmm. I'm still going to be like nah that looks like what I thought it would look like in my head you know if you right. get to that point then you're good and it, that's all it takes is just realizing that if I do it right here underneath this light with hard shadows coming from the bottom of my hand well that that's probably why it doesn't look like what I what right. I made yeah. there's easy ways to adjust things and small small patterns of behavior it's, it's ritual it's it's you know Slow the process down and be willing to try different options rather than like, oh, I'm just going to take the photo, it didn't work out, or then whatever. The pizza thing is brilliant because when you go to print it and you go back to the monitor to figure out what went wrong, Mm -hmm. it's like you should have fixed this at the factory. You you shouldn't be now trying to sprinkle jalapenos on this. It's not going to work. And this goes even further. 
because you can do... Getting back to the problem with displays, I don't care how consistent every pizza is coming out of that factory, how calibrated is your oven? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are you, is your 450 420? Because if it is, it's going to come out undercooked. Right. Pizza's everything. Yeah, my, and, and you get to, that's a, that's a funny thing too, is uh, pizza is everything. My, my oven at home, my, I know how to cook on it because the, the door's broke and it, it has a little gap. <laughs> I lived in an RV for a long time. You know how to cook in an RV when you can figure out how to make brownies in that oven. Because it's, it's hard. It's a very difficult, difficult because calibration, again, is, if it's not right, it's not right. <coughs> Um, so I don't know, I guess, uh, what recap this real quick, John? Yeah. I, I, why, why doesn't it look the same? I, it's a matter of trying to play around with what you have available to you and not being afraid of trying different options, you know, to get what you want out of it, you know, cause it, it's not the easiest thing to, do all this work on this piece and then capture it really easily. Like you have to be willing to take some time and experiment a little bit, you know, either setting aside a time to play with it or when you're in the moment, like for what we do with tattooing, it's okay to slow things down. Like unless they have to rush off and hit their kids, like be like, Hey, are you cool if we take some photos, you know? And to spend 15 minutes making a photo, you know, try different lighting situations inside, outside, you know, and just see what works well for yourself. And and we're not trying to, I guess the biggest thing is we're not, we're trying to tell you don't, don't chase the gear, right? Yeah. Like don't spend a lot of money thinking that, that, that you said there was some step in between that got, that got overlooked, whether it's lighting or whatnot. And, um, John, big John said this basically, <laughs> that's what I'm talking to. Um, I think you, I think that's a terrible thing is just to automatically think because it looks like shit, you didn't spend enough money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even talked about, I mean, this whole conversation hasn't even addressed the gear. It's addressed the files and the image and the data and the adjustments. Yeah. I feel like that's the biggest thing is, you know, the question is why it doesn't look the same? My other, my other level of question is, well, who are you trying to show it to and for what reason? Mm-hmm. None of that involves the gear you're using. Mm-hmm. It's all practicality. It's all the it. It's what you're taking a photo of. So it's less about, I mean, yeah, there's great reasons to have a DSLR versus an iPhone or to have a Hasselblad full frame, blah, 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 blah. There's tons of options. But end of the day, it's a fucking picture. Mm-hmm. If it looks right, it looks right. Right. You know? Yeah. I, and that's the greatest yeah. thing is that when... When someone looks at the picture on the on the display of a monitor or a print they got, they're not going through this list of shit we're talking about. They're going, this looks like crap. I don't know why it looks like crap, right. but this looks awesome. And all we're trying to do is make sure that our intent got across and the people who pick it up say, this looks fucking awesome. Yeah. Right? For sure. Yeah, if you're explaining all this stuff... <laughs> Yeah. You might have a bigger issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to understand. Uh, I was working with, you know, and you gotta, then you try to sell the print by yeah. what gear you use. I mean, what a fucking fail is that, you know? And that's just a small note. I feel like that's when you're talking about, you know, like this being lowbrow. Like, it's really intimidating. You walk into a fucking art gallery and everyone's like, fuck, it's a fucking, do I like it or do I not like it? Do I feel, do I not feel? Like, I feel like there's a lot, there's a, there's a, there's a tendency for people in any field to use jargon and to use knowledge or wisdom or any version of it to kind of differentiate themselves and to alienate others. Mm. That happens. And especially in the fucking film industry, you know, like, God, any kid who... <laughs> I call it the word of the day calendar person. <laughs> Is that? Yeah. <laughs> Can you hand me a vessel of water? You mean a cup? I'll give you a fucking cup, but I'm not giving you a fucking vessel. Yes, I don't care how much you know about this, that, or this. Can you hold the shot? Can you do your job? And can you work off of my position? That's my world, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care how fucking, you know, cinema, you know, cinemaphile somebody is. I don't give a shit what they know as long as they know how to hold my secondary shot. Right. So I think that there's that nature of people can feel intimidated by not knowing what they think everybody else knows. Everybody's full of shit. No one knows anything. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. And even when you learn something, it gets changed. 
you know, it, it changes over time. I just feel like every time I meet somebody, I, I, I had this kid I met one time, and he was like, well, I can never do this because I don't have the gear. And I was like, well, hold on. And I brought him back to this closet, and I said, what do you see? And he's like, I don't see anything. I'm like, that's the point. I don't own shit. Like, what I do is not what I own. And that's, I'm, I'm one version of a shooter, but I remember this moment specifically because this kid was like, what the, what the, like, really? Like, you can, you can do this and not own all the things? Yeah, it's not about what you own. I had to, I owned a camera for a few years and then I threw it in a pool. Mm-hmm. So that was stupid, but, you know, I was mad. <laughs> Better was a great shot. It was a great <laughs> shot. Um, but, you know, like, I feel we like. We only get one take on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, I feel like there's this whole. I don't know, like, fucking group of people who could be so good at, at any version of artistry, like, whether it's photography or, or cinematography or something, mm. who just don't go out across that threshold of the door, you know? They don't step out the door because they're intimidated and because people don't reach out to hold their hand, mm-hmm. to pull them through it. The focus mm-hmm. is different, you know? Yeah. Like, and maybe that's a criticism of us. Maybe that's a criticism of professionals, too. Like, mm. we need to shut the fuck up. And let people be themselves. Yeah. And I think that what you just said right there is a is what I think another another way of putting the mission of this pod, podcast together is. We want people to not be so intimidated and become the person they're meant to be, yeah. and not be afraid of like I don't have a DSL camera, I don't have a quality printer, I don't have this. You you don't need all of it. You just need to get through whatever fear you're creating for yourself. You know, the one thing that, that as an entrepreneur, as someone who's done things with absolutely no money um, and just finance things along the way, someone told me a long time ago, everything I want is on the other side of fear. Oh, yeah. So as long as I just get, it's just, just go away fear and you go, you pound through it, you know? And I don't know if that takes a special person or if that, or if that's something you can breed or if that's something you can nurture I don't really know how that is, um, but um, I think you're right, John. It's you know you just have to get across that that weird threshold that is separating you from your goal of what you're trying to do. Whether it's a simple shoot like that kid that wanted the gear, like you're you just put a fear in front of you that somehow by default you've already let yourself fail mm-hmm. and found something to blame, mm-hmm. and you never even tried the fucking shot. Show me the shot that you failed on first, and then we can discuss what went wrong. Right. Don't walk up to the fucking plate. Don't pick up a bat and go, see, I knew it was going to strike out. Fucking, of course you're going to strike out. You knew you were going to strike out before you even stood up to the plate, man. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. That's, a, <laughs> that's my much anger as you can get out of me this morning, I guess. That's good. <laughs> I don't know, John. What do you want to wrap it up there? Yeah, I think that works. Your good stopping point? Me, me cussing and yelling? Deal. I want to thank Big John for stepping out. Hey. John, we never got your last name. Uh, they call me John Michael Ryan. Michael Ryan. Wow. Yeah. And we're going to uh, get some more information and put your put your uh, some links and bios and oh. nudes. Send okay. nudes on there. Get your uh, <laughs> Snapchat going. Um, this has been another episode of the Bastards of Art Podcast. Where can they find us, John? iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and www.bastardsart.com. And as always, please go to our iTunes page, rate us, and leave a comment so that we can get higher up in the charts and reach more people. Thanks. Thanks, guys. How do I find you guys on Ask Chiefs? <laughs>